Karen, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing the Scottish stuff. Like I told you, I got a nuke killed on order, so it's it's all good. Fun Before times. we get into a little history about this, what bothers you most about this dirty little war? I would say um, the way that Putin is definitely targeting civilians. When you see hospitals and schools and churches and things that are not valid targets, according to the Geneva Conventions being targeted, while he's also telling people that they're not targeting that. I mean, you hit it once or twice, that's a mistake. That's understandable. You hit it repeatedly in all different cities that you're targeting civilians. Yeah, uh, the humanitarian issue is, is the craziest part of this. And the two million people now displaced from the country. And all of them, and they, they said there's over 400 civilians at least have been killed. Uh, right. And I'm I, sure the number is much higher than that. In reality. And I, I heard, I read a story yesterday about a girl that with two of her friends, they were, you know, sneaking around to take food to people that were trapped and to animals and shelters to make sure they didn't starve. And they were targeted just like they were soldiers when it's obvious that they're not, they're getting food to people that they, they never should be targeted. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to get a little blunt, which I never do, and particularly around my daughter, but I'm going to going to do some quotes on this. I read today that uh, instead of road signs around Odessa, they have the sign for straight ahead, straight ahead that says, fuck you. Yeah. They have one that says left, fuck you. And, it says, and they have one that says right, it goes, Go fucking home. Exactly. Language, uh, <laughs> listeners out there. But every now and then, you know, we got to get the point across that uh, they're really fighting back on there. They, they've, yeah. I said they have fortified uh, multiple positions, defensive positions and offensive positions around Kiev, And it's really impressive because I don't think anybody would have said, oh, yeah, Ukraine's, a, you know, an offensive powerhouse or even a defensive powerhouse. In, mil in a military sense, but what they've been able to do is impressive. Yeah, and they expected three to four days they'd be in Kiev, and it didn't happen that way at all. And they're still still keeping the, them out of the city as much as they, they can be. And uh, Zelensky, boy, I'm impressed with that man. Zelensky actually went into his office and did a, did a, ca a cast uh, yesterday to broadcast to people. And that, that's I saw kind of that. impressive, you know. He wasn't wasn't in in the bunker or anything else. He was right out there doing what he what he's going to do. Uh, one of the interesting things, and you as a, a, a retired Air Force must find interesting about this, is they have not been able to have air superiority. Yeah, and that's actually something that that, in a way, surprises me, but in a way that it does it doesn't. They have very well engineered aircraft um in avionics and they have a lot of capability but training wise they are not trained to the same level our pilots are and so while they're still good it, it, it is shocking to me though that they they're still getting a lot of aircraft shot down I, I i don't think it's been confirmed yet but i heard that two bombers were shot down yesterday that's you know it, it's amazing um, I think that, you know, that if they had not taken Crimea, so if Putin didn't take Crimea in 2014, 
I'm wondering if Ukraine would have been as uh, good militarily as they've turned out to be. You know, uh, because it, it just kind of set them up in that they've had training from all over and even the people helped train them and, and, and I'm impressed with what they're doing. I, I also have heard that, you know, I, I'm sure you've read it too, that that, that Zelensky has the, um, I forget what it's called, the International Legion that he's making that they have like, I've seen a, a few different numbers, up, you know, up to 16,000 foreign fighters. And I've read articles about special forces guys from the U.S. that were no longer in the military that are headed over. You know, yeah, these are I the mean, people, these are the people that aren't scared of anything. Yeah. And, you know, there are people that have to sit in the sidelines and seeing what, what Russia did in Syria and, mm -hmm. and in other places. And they're just, uh, I'm not going to, they, they think this is the payback time. And, and right. It really is. And it's, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I, I read that, I forget who it was. It was a, a U.S. politician that basically said that they felt that Putin didn't respect us because of the sloppy withdrawal from Afghanistan. But actually, I think a lot of these people are motivated. Anybody that's been in Afghanistan is motivated to go back and work with a country that cares about its democracy, which is what we always wanted the Afghanis to do. And here's a country that's standing up for all democracy in the world, and people want to be a part of that. Yeah, you know, if it just briefly on Afghanistan, Afghanistan had never been conquered by anybody. The British tried it going through the Khyber Pass from India and Pakistan area. The uh, Russians tried it and lost miserably because they have an insurgency, they took over, but they, the insurgency was just too powerful and they had to go like we did from Vietnam particularly. And then we tried it and we should have known better after the Russian experience. But it's but, so much more than just, you know, the terrain is one of the things that they blame. And it's so much more than that though. Like you can't take a nation that doesn't have national pride. They have tribe pride and family pride. Mm -hmm. And you can't convince them that they should all be flying Afghani flags. You can't convince them that democracy is where it's at, especially when the, the elections that they did have were rigged. And that was something that a lot of people had a problem with, a lot of Afghani citizens. It's dangerous to vote, first of all. And then second of all, the person that should have won at least the first time, if not the first 10 times, was not the person that actually won. And people yeah, were tired of that. And you're right. That takes us back to Afghanistan, where you had a really free election and a man went out there to end the corruption that was within his government. And you also had, had the experiences with the former president and everything. I think the, the second amazing thing with this is how President Biden and the Western leaders were come, able to come together after the, that four years of, of trying to dismantle NATO and everything that went with it. And they came together to unite against the common enemy once again. I, I think, think that's, I think it's fear. Like yeah, in I, especially European countries, this, this is not unfamiliar. It's been a long time, but it's not unfamiliar to them. Yeah. And, you know, I'll grant that Russia has a different setup than they did in the cold war, because now those, those countries that they had such control of, are part of NATO. And that's, that's mm -hmm. probably frustrating to them, but you can't go back and have an empire 
when you've done it. I mean, they had the problem before with all those kinds of things. And one of the things like you can't, you can't trust, you can't trust Putin. If his mouth is moving, he's lying. Well, you know, the problem when you have somebody who had been like secret police type person taking over, um, you can do that. You can be like that. Stalin took over because he was secretary of the communist party. Everybody thought Trotsky with the military would do it. And that was, was one of the issues with the military. It's a very interesting situation with the Russian military. And, you know, we get to that in a couple of minutes. But let's go back a little bit to what I said at the beginning, that we need to talk a little bit about the history, particularly as Putin seems to be using history as his reasoning for doing this. Because, you know, people out here listening to me know I'm a historian. Let's go back a bit. Putin claimed that Russia begot the Ukraine using a biblical term. History tells us it was the other way around. Way back, the first capital of the area was Kiev. The area is known as Kievan Rus. That's where the Russian came out of it. Here we found such a large territory controlled by this group. And and some of it is even what is now Finland. And of course, we know one of the most famous czars who ruled from Kiev was Ivan. Now, we know him in history of many people as Ivan the Terrible, but if you look at translating his name, it could also be Ivan the Awesome. They even used uh, used this thing in the second uh, one of the uh, Night in the Museum at the Smithsonian. He actually talked about being Ivan the Awesome, not Ivan the Terrible, (laughs) in that that cartoonish way. So it's it's really kind of, uh, Moscow is a newcomer, really, as the capital of Russia and the center of Russia before it was much closer to the European mainland instead of close to the Urals as Moscow is. So, you know, this situation is, is, is so sad with so many people being set out of their homes. So much of a military being able to continue when it all looks like it could be lost so quickly and to see the Russian army being so clumsy, really. Yeah. And I think that some of that, it kind of, you know, to relate it to sports, when you underestimate your opponent, you don't, you don't go out there thinking of it as, you know, you're not thinking of it like the playoffs. You're thinking it's like a scrimmage against your, you know, what, whoever you're not thinking about. This is actually somebody that's as capable with us. And I think that, for too long, re- Russia relied has relied on their minds on the mass that they have, the, just the sheer amount of of people and machinery, and not taken into account that maybe their tactics don't work. And you know, on top of that, we tend to forget one thing that's far different between almost all the militaries of the of the uh, European countries as well as the United States and the Canada. They don't rely for the majority of their people on conscripts. These are people who actually volunteer. So much yeah. of Russia is conscript. And these guys right. go in and they were, they were saying they were supposed to have four months of, of training before they went to Ukraine. And they were saying a lot of these came in with two months of training. Now, before you became an officer, you went through basic training. In two months, would you have been prepared to fight? No, but actually that they, when I went through, they were working on making us more agile to deploy and that we did do our gas mask training and basic training 
and we did do some of those skills that you traditionally were getting later on in your Air Force career, not in basic training. It was something you would do at your first duty station. But even with that, I still wouldn't have felt confident to go to war. I mean, what about Army infantry training in the U.S.? How long is that? Yeah. I mean, the basic training training now is like two months, and you're not considered trained to go to your advanced courses. And beyond so they they don't really figure you're ready to do to really get into the until at least a year before you're really there but you also have a, a more uh egalitarian system in the in the united states that where that it's it's not just by time and time in, in in office that gets to be a corporal a sergeant and so on as it is in russia you know it, it, it's not based on merit where, yeah. where in the United States, I mean, you know, if you're going, if you're you're an enlisted person, you can basically get, keep on going to E3, E4 without a problem. But to be, be, be E5 and beyond, and particularly if you get in the higher levels of it, you have to be extremely talented and knowledgeable, not only in your field, but in the in the, in your in the entire Air Force or the Army or the Marines or the Navy. You really have to know your stuff, and that doesn't happen. You can have numbers. But the numbers are not what it may seem to be. Then it, it does have a problem, and I think and morale is a big issue for them. I know it is, and and I think that like one thing that the Ukrainians are doing really well is they're almost half fighting like an insurgency. I I just read a little while ago that you know they had to turn people away that were volunteering to join their military because they had too many people volunteering. The people that they weren't able to take in have started making Molotov cocktails to give away to whoever can throw them or they're going and throwing them at Russians, you know, like it's no fear, even if you're not in the military, even if you don't have a gun and that like the citizens like that, it makes it almost like an insurgency. And that is hard for the Russians, especially because you know that the infantry is not going to be trained in tactics or any sort of advanced level wargaming or anything like that they're just drones with a gun oh yeah uh, you know it's it's just amazing the situation of, of how it's become and they're, they're losing i mean they're losing a lot of tanks they're losing a lot of aircraft in there uh, people they're just abandoning it and they, they've had some wholesale surrenders i read early on on that because, because yeah. they, they, they know that they're not going to get it. They're not going to get the supplies that they need and everything else. And, and they, they just every time you give the Ukrainians something, they seem to be able to use it as more effectively than you'd even expect. And you know what it really gets me? They actually, I read the other day that a beer a brewery, instead of doing that, is using those bottles to make Molotov cocktails to give out to the, the citizens. <laughs> Yeah, like everybody's in on this. And you know that there's people that are in tunnels and, and subway things and underground hiding, you know, babies and, you know, older people and, you know, moms that don't want to leave their kids or that they're too scared to evacuate. Because every time I and I also don't trust Putin if he says there'll be a ceasefire and we'll let you evacuate. Yeah, right. Like, it, I, I don't t I don't think he would do that. I think it, it's. There's something, if he agrees to that, there's something else he's planning to do. Yeah, That's I, just I, how he is. Yeah, you've, he's totally untrustworthy, which is a sad thing because we went through four years where former person said that he was completely trustworthy. 
I think that I think that the scariest thing would have been if number forty five was still out there, because it, you need to have some basic understanding of how government works. Government does not work, and I don't want to spend too much time on this end. But government doesn't work here like a private company. No, and you have to be able to trust your top military people. You know, it's as much as everybody wants to go in there and, and get get some action in war, this can turn really ugly really fast. Yeah, it is. You know, that, that brings up a point that I wanted to bring up anyways, and that, that's uh, Putin is very reminiscent of Stalin in the 1930s. Stalin did not trust the people who had been in the military. I think they were worthy. They were they were allies of Trotsky and all that. The upper ranks I'm talking about, the colonels and above. Mm-hmm. So he purged the officer ranks hugely, and surprisingly enough, through covert ways, Hitler helped. Hitler helped. So it was going on uh, on with this that that Stalin would appoint people who were loyal to him in the upper echelon positions. So when Hitler invaded, it was relatively easy running for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But then people like people from Ukraine and places like that, who were going to give up their, their land so easily, turned into partisans. And they held them up. And then the weather, as it did to Napoleon, messed them up. Well, he's done the same thing. He's purged that. His secretary of the, his, his defense minister there had no military experience. I read that today. He's got no military experience whatsoever. And yet he's the one basically directing the policy on that. They ha- they are very, they're very different over there in the way that they do things. One of the experiences that I had, and everybody's heard about the, um, the deconfliction line that we had with the Russians in Syria. You know, we monitored what they were doing. They monitored what we were doing. It wasn't coordination because we can't coordinate with them. We can't fight with them. But it was a way to make sure that we didn't accidentally run upon each other. And so we coordinated ISIS. We coordinated ISIS strikes so far as to say, I'm striking here. I'm going to be there from this time to this time. You can come later if you want. And we, you know, we had different lines in the sand of where we went, where they were going to go. You can't pass this, all of that. But the person, the Russian on the other end of that line switched out every few months, however many months it was. And one of the things that they did is the outgoing person didn't tell the incoming person anything. (laughs) So it was a way to make themselves look better because they have it all figured out. This new person shows up and you can tell when there's a new person because suddenly everything's wrong and things aren't coordinated smoothly and it just feels choppy and and we could always tell him must be a new guy and it would take him a good two three weeks to really get back to where it was with the old guy but one of those guys told our guy yeah i just got here and i don't know anything about what i'm supposed to do and so that's how they operate it's all about looking better than the next guy and that sort of system doesn't bode well when you're actually out in the trenches fighting yeah, it, it doesn't bode well. And that, that's why I think people are surprised because of such a massive army. I mean, you're talking 150 to 175,000 people on attack. We haven't seen that kind of fighting since World War II. 
And they're still not like making any progress. No, they're not. I mean, you know, one of the things I think that they really expected was that was uh, Zelensky would capitulate where the Ukrainians would capitulate and and they'd be able to walk in and do what they wanted to do. Oh, you reminded me of something that I wanted to say. I read this two days ago that said that Zelensky had survived a third uh, assassination attempt. And the reason that he keeps surviving these is because there's people on the inside in Russia that are alerting Ukraine to these teams that are coming in to get him and giving him that information. That also tells me that Putin's on a limited time here. If his own people are making sure that Zelensky's not dying, then there's a lot more going on that he's not going to, Putin is not going to be able to control long term. Yeah, he's a, a policeman. That is his background. He's a policeman. He has been allowed to do things that only a policeman, uh, you know, particularly the intelligence policeman that he was, can get away with for for so long. People, because, uh, and, and if we take it one more step in a different direction, and economically, Europe became so dependent on getting fuel, the, the oil and the gas from the, from them, they tend to look the other way on so many things. And I think he was shocked, absolutely shocked, that they were willing and are willing and continue to be even more willing, I think, to give up on that, even, even as it hurts their own economy, to end this. Because it's, it's limited. I mean, you can't be locked in, not have any foreign trade. Your banks can't trade into the basic systems. You're, you're being penalized. Your ruble has gotten down to nothing. It's worth about three quarter, less than three-quarters of a cent when it was worth, worth a cent and a half just two months ago. They're, yeah. they're, 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 there's no money in the banks in the long run other than what's in the rubles, and that's, that's now becoming worthless on that. I mean, it's like owning a, a, a Bitcoin last year when it's like $80,000, $90,000 a coin, and now it's like $35,000 a coin. All of a sudden, boom, everything that you account on is no longer there. And I don't know why he didn't realize that when he had all these reserves in Europe and America and other places, that we wouldn't have the opportunity to freeze those reserves. So it cut his ability to pay for all this stuff by better than 50%. And and I also, I don't know what he thought the people of Russia were going to do. Like over 13, 14,000 people have been out in the streets protesting in Russia. Like in the U.S., you'd be like, oh, yeah, whatever. That, not protesting. That's who, how many have been arrested. Yeah. You know, if and he's cut off their access to social media and cut back on their Internet so that they aren't able to congregate. And they're still protesting him like that. I don't know that he realized it would be so unpopular in his own country. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I read that. Uh... The older people are the ones who are supportive of him because they don't know any better, I guess. I don't know, because they've, they've been so cloistered and what they can see, what they can hear and everything else. It's the young people who are seeing it because they're uh, savvy for social media and all this kind of stuff. So they have the ability to know what's truly going on. And doing yeah. But so many, even, even Russians uh, within there. I mean, there's three oligarchs who are outside of the country that have criticized this. There's one major one inside of the country that says they should have peace, that they shouldn't be forgiven yeah. this fight. And I mean, and even Ch- China has come out and said, hey, we can help these negotiations. We 
we don't mind the help. And, you know, I think they thought China would be behind them. They would at least, I think, China, China, of course, is dependent so much on, on their trade with, with everybody else, too, that Russia, yeah, they're important for energy, but they're not really important for, for much else on there. Uh, also, you don't think that Z is looking closely at the failures of the Russian military on this? You know, you, you don't back the, the wrong horse. I mean, yeah. you, you know, Britain was very close to coming in on the side of the South in the Civil War. But when they saw what was happening on there, they said, hey, we're not going to do this. France waited until after Saratoga in the revolution. They want to make sure you back a winner. They're not right. going to get too much involved with this if they can't back the winner. But I mean, going back to the Revolutionary War, nobody expected the Americans to win that. It's almost the same sort of situation. You know, you don't you don't think of Ukraine as a military powerhouse, but sometimes all you just need is a little bit of heart and a leader that inspires you to fight. That and, and ironically, the support of other countries pouring in what you need for supplies and you're fighting for your home. Yeah. Fighting for your home has a lot to do with why they where they're doing it. I, I don't I don't know why he thought, why he could believe. And they had they're they're ethnic relatives. They're like first cousins, Russians and Ukrainians. But I don't know and, and the Russian people were able to take a fight for so much in World War Two and World War One for that matter until it got ridiculous, which World War One maybe Putin should look a little bit at too. And what happened with the Russian army. So you have the, this this going on, and and it's just he expected that they wouldn't do the same things to defend their homes that the Russians would have done to defend their homes. I don't think the reversed. Russians would have done it. I don't Not think for Putin. like <laughs> no, like the Russians to me just don't seem to be very excited to be Russian. It's almost like they're trapped being Russian. Yeah, you know, and, and they're really trapped right now being Russian. Yeah, it's Russia, very it's, Russia. Yeah, you know when you've got so much of the world, and there were some really strange countries that supported us in the in the General Assembly on the on the on the censuring Russia for what they did. It, it is an amazing situation. I just it breaks my heart. In fact, I've got uh, a shirt coming in talking about uh, kilted people supporting Ukraine. I can't. Wait <laughs> That's to awesome. That I think this end, so, end of the week is coming in. So but let me it, ask you a question. I have a question. Okay. As a historian, what are your thoughts? What do you think are the chances that the people of Russia will find a way to overthrow Putin? Well, that, 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 that is a tough one. In a lot of countries, I would say that what was going on, the military would do it. And that is still a possibility. I think the oligarchs could do it. I think that the, the, the Russian people themselves are very tolerant, but then if they see this consistent losing, if we go, we've gone three weeks almost, three weeks on Thursday. If we go go three weeks and then go another three weeks and they haven't appreciably changed the direction, that they haven't toned down the war and you're getting thousands of Russian children being sent back in body bags from being killed, then I think the mothers will do it. I think when they start getting into the street, you look at the look at the revolution nineteen oh five, and then certainly nineteen seventeen, how they had to change things uh, because that the people said no longer, we're not going to take this any longer. It's not going to be easy. 
uh, I won't say for sure that they would do it. It's a possibility. Um, I think the more that they clamp down on them, on what's going on, the uh, harder it's going to be keep, to keep them clamped down. I think eventually, yeah. eventually they do it. Um, I, I think. Do you think there's a Do you think there's a price high enough for any of his inside people to make it happen? It's a possibility. It's a possibility. But nobody wants to take that. Right. Um, well, nobody, like, if it's happening, it's happening in, like, dungeons with the Illuminati, like, kind of crazy <laughs> conspiracy <laughs> theory stuff. But I wouldn't say that it's impossible that some of those oligarchs who are losing so much want to say, hey, we backed the wrong horse here and, and, and could do it. The problem of it is, is that you can, uh, uh, he's got layers of people around him. You know, yeah. he is he isn't truly a brave man. No. He's well, because he knows behind, he's not liked. Yeah, well, he's a man behind the scenes doing these kinds of things. And yeah. he, 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 he has all this uh, swagger, and, and yet he, he's probably extremely insecure now, right now. He doesn't know. When you're insecure, you don't trust, and you flash out. So he's dangerous. I mean, he, he's, he's no... What we need to that viper is we need a big old mongoose. <laughs> and I think that, you know, uh, Zelensky is a mongoose, but he can't get to the throat of that viper. So he has to start cutting off parts of the viper from the back end until the viper is dead. Whether yeah. that's going to be enough or not, I don't know. But I hope so. Even, even if they win, take the cities. They, they, I've read, and I truly believe this too, based on it, they're not going to be able to control the country. No. They're not going to be able to control the country. They're going to get the same level of insurgency that they've gotten everywhere, that people got wherever they go. You just can't control that many. If it's taken 175,000 troops to get three weeks in and you're only on corners of the, of the country, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what they're going to do. I yeah. think, you know, again, my whole point for wanting to, to talk about this is, is is my heart going out to these Ukrainians who are fighting for the survival of their country and their survival of their leader. Uh, ironically, here's a man who was a, a comedy a comedian, and he's become a statesman through this. He's become probably one, one of the most popular leaders in the world. People people are just so impressed with what he's been able to do to, to, to hold back this juggernaut, the, this, this Russian bear. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think, you know, we got to get out there. We got to let people know what the, that we support this. I think also one of the things we have not done enough yet is be willing to take some of these refugees into this country. People have families here. There's a lot of Ukrainians that have been here mm -hmm. for generations. That, and, and and even ethnic Russians that don't want anything to do with that kind of person like Putin, that be willing to support these people coming in. I think we have to look at that uh, so we don't have the approbation we got for not taking care of the Jews during the Holocaust. We, there's 2 million people out there, refugees, and Poland's gotten half of them. <laughs> you know, it's time that, that we spread the wealth of these people. And right. How, it, how many other times have we not helped? You know, Syria and tons of well, times. 
Well, you know, back back to 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 uh, Syria and in that too is look what uh, the former president did to our allies, who who did the bulk of the fighting against ISIS. Those Kurds. He 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 made the deal with another dictator, Erdogan, to allow him to come in and work genocide on those people. Which he's been, Erdogan's been doing that ever since he's been in there working on trying to eliminate the, the threat of the Kurds. Because they want their own area. They want a Kurdistan. I mean, you know, what can you say? You can't blame them. Yeah. But, but that, that's it. I mean, do, he does he think they can do the same thing in a place like that? I don't believe he can. I really don't. Nope. Well, I think, you know, we've covered where we feel. I know in the hearts of it. Is there any final thing you want to say about it? Um, yeah, like I, I admire their bravery and the just the strength that the Ukrainians have. But I also I feel sympathy for Russians, like ordinary Russian citizens that are being held hostage by this crazy dictator that is making their life very difficult and doesn't care about them just as much as he doesn't care about the Ukrainians. So there's a lot of suffering going on in that part of the world right now. Yes. In addition to that, as a historian, I see the situation from the points like we talked about in American the Revolution and where it was at, uh, the Civil War, and, and particularly for them, the, the, uh, the Russo-Japanese War of 1905 when they were, were defeated by, by the Japanese fleet. Uh, and what that led to a revolution in that time when, they had to, when, when the Tsar had to give up a lot of power and then, of course, the revolution in 1917, the, the Red Revolution, when we go on there, I think that, you know, he needs to look closely at his back because there's a, a big, fat target on his back. And dollar signs. And, yeah. And, and I'm hoping that target, somebody is going to zero in on it one way or the other. Right? Yeah. We can do it because the man is nuts. I've had enough nuts authoritarian wannabes and authoritarian people in the world now. Well, thank you, Karen. And listeners, you're going to get a chance to see more of us on here in different topics. It's going to be like it was in the past, but you never know what's going to come up. And we have fun times. We did a nice Christmas one, and we did some other things in the past. We're going to do some fun things as well as politics in the future. So thank you for listening, and God bless you. God bless our great nation, and it's the legitimately elected leaders of who we know who they are and God bless and protect our troops and God and bless and protect Ukraine and its leaders. God just give them the strength to carry on with the infidel that are trying to attack them. Good night.